0: the United States. I was two years old and we moved to the only section of North Philly. And North Philly, uh, imagine North Philly (laughs) being like a small version of Harlem without the Renaissance. Um, When we moved to the suburbs, it was my first time that I recalled feeling different. I was one of the only brown kids in my class, in my school for that matter, and all I wanted to do is really fit in at school. I remember longing to be the all-American girl. To me, that girl was the one that had dirty blonde hair and blue eyes, the one surrounded by friends, um, the one that this was the biggest qualifier, who had skinny thighs. <laughs> um, she probably is a model of guess at ad right now. I really longed to look like her. I really wanted to be like her, because I thought if I did, Then maybe people would like me. I can tell you some terrible stories about me growing up and trying to belong as a chubby, awkward kid. But I have some proof. I have a picture. And I asked my mom to send me this picture, and of course she took a picture of a picture. (laughs) And I love moms. (laughs) So because I had this ideal that I could never look like, And I never saw anyone on TV that looked like me. I thought that no one valued my body. I thought that I grew up believing that my body was not beautiful. And as I navigated this new social landscape, I felt like an outsider looking in. I really just wanted to belong. You know, I believe that we were created to belong, to connect. I believe that God created us to be in union with God. And connected to each other and at this time in my life I felt that I could never belong or fit in did you have a rough time growing up what about now do you like everything about your body I bet if I asked you to list five things of the things that you like about your body and things that you don't like you would be able to fill out that don't like column a little bit better than the like column how do you feel about your body? How did puberty treat you? <laughs> I came out better on the other side of puberty but I confess I didn't eat dinner and probably stunted my growth too many times to not let you see that girl up here today. You know, I let the way that I felt differently and my ideal of what I thought was beautiful affect my developing identity. I felt unworthy, and that unworthy feeling started to become shameful to me. Shame stems from our fear of being disconnected with each other and with God. Disconnected with each other and with God. I love how Lisa Sharon Harper explains it. At his heart, shame is fear that our failure, our shortcoming, Our true selves make us unworthy of connection. The core lie of shame is that I'm not enough. I think a lot of times we confuse guilt and shame with making it synonymous, but they're not. We all feel shame. As children, we might feel shy or embarrassed. It's a natural emotion. And when we do something bad like lie or be a friend, we might feel guilt. Guilt is okay. It helps us realize that we've done something wrong against our values. Guilt is about behavior. Shame is different than guilt. Shame focuses and destroys our identity. When shame moves from just being an emotion or a feeling, it becomes an identity, a powerful identity, that tells us that we are flawed and defective as human beings. When shame takes over, we start listening to it. We start believing we are not enough. And one of our biggest questions our soul tries to answer throughout our lives is, am I worthy? Or worse yet, we really believe I am not worthy. And this believing that we're not enough or not valuable really can affect every aspect of our lives. When we don't value ourselves, we often let others control us or let our insecurity take over. And insecurity is not attractive. It prevents us from asserting ourselves to greater possibilities and can lead to discontentment and even depression. I'm a personal trainer, and I'll be honest a lot of times people come to me because they're fed up or disgusted with themselves. When I meet with a client for the first time, we do an assessment. I sit with them and I say, okay, why are you here? And the answers are varied with my clients, but they all say basically the same thing. They say things like, I'm not happy with the way I look. Or I used to be skinny and now I'm not so skinny. I started gaining weight five years ago and I can't stop. Or some people say, I really need motivation to start a fitness plan because I really want to lose this or firm this up. No one ever comes to me and says, Juby, I want to improve my cardiac health. Or, Juby, I want to reduce my risk of heart disease, hypertension, diabetes, and stroke. They all say, I'm gross. Help me look good. You know the greatest thing our culture sells is insecurity.
1: I didn't know this,
0: but um, you marketing majors might might know. Marketing is designed to find people's pain points. That's what they call it. Pain points are potential consumers' problems. So marketers essentially want to create products and ideals to help us solve our problems, but also create ideals to make you feel that you need something in order to be ideal. Tina Strauss seller says it in her book. Much of marketing is turning people to objects and using them to sell something or someone else. By doing so, we communicate to the public observer that if you don't have this or look like that or live like this, you are inadequate, less than, and undesirable. So you must pursue those ideals. Our social media platforms usually leave us feeling worse about ourselves than better. And these images and marketing make us feel more inadequate and unhappy with ourselves, which is exactly the lie, and lies our culture wants want us to believe. I'm gonna ask Dee to put up two in her book, and she explains it. We have taken in these lies from too many voices to count. Parents, siblings, childhood classmates, teachers, television, film, magazines, music videos, public policies, laws, and structures. The voices have driven lies deep into the pits of our souls and drowned out the voice of the one who created us. The voice of the one who says, I love you. And who is this creator who loves us? Many of you know the story of creation. I'm going to give you an abbreviated version, okay? God created the world and left God's best creation for last, Adam and Eve. God created Adam and Eve and walked around the garden with them. And I want to emphasize this relationship and this walking and point out how important this aspect of God walking with Adam and Eve was. The stem of the word Uh, to walk in Hebrew is halak. And halak essentially means to live with someone, to walk through life hand in hand. This is God's intention for our relationship with God, that we have union with God, that we walk through life hand in hand with our Creator, the Creator of the universe. I'm going to continue the story. God enjoyed and delighted being with God's creation. But he told them not to eat from fruit in the garden. The serpent comes and turns to Eve, and she eats it, and then she convinces Adam to eat it. And they eat it, and they realize that they're naked, and then they're ashamed, and they hide. I'm going to let scripture take it from here, okay? Read Genesis with me. Then the man and his wife Jonathan preached a sermon a few weeks ago on on sin, and he used the same passage. And many times I've read this passage with God's voice of authority and judgment. But Jonathan says, that's not how he sees it. He says, how I hear God is that God has a broken heart. God says, oh my, who told you that? Who told you that you should feel ashamed for being naked? God's not condemning Adam and Eve for being naked. God is lamenting that his creation no longer wanted to walk with God, to halak with him. Adam and Eve retreat in shame and believe the lie that God no longer wants to be with them. And throughout scripture, God continues to show us that God wants union with Another example is in Corinthians. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you received from God? You are not your own. You are brought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. There's a joke between a few of my church friends um, that when someone offers us some indulgent treat or beverage, and we're trying to make healthier choices, we get out of it by saying, oh, I can't eat that. Don't you know my body's in Um, Actually, what this scripture means is a little different. It used to be that people had to travel a long way to find God in the temple. Lots of travel. And God was found in that place. What Paul is saying here is that God doesn't need us to travel. God doesn't need us to go to Jerusalem to find God. Paul is saying here that God is in us, in our psyche, in our consciousness, whatever you call it. And, if that's the case, it's a pretty good thing. People say stuff like, don't get a tattoo, your body's a temple. But that's not it at all. Paul is saying, God is way closer than you think. God is so close that God is a part of you. Do you believe that God is within us? Wherever we go, whatever we do, however we look, we embody the Spirit of God. If you really believe that, would you have shame over this vessel, this body? We see here through the scripture that we are God's dwelling place. We are God's dwelling place, and God wants union with us. So do we really believe that we are temples of God, and God wants union with us? In Matthew, Jesus is asked a really special question. I'm going to set the scene. He's going to put up the scripture so you can read the scripture and I'm going to paraphrase. I'm going to set it. It's the 22nd chapter of Matthew. It's the very last time Jesus was speaking to a community at large. After this, Jesus only addressed his disciples. So it had a bit of a press conference feel where a lot of people were asking him questions. The very last public question he was asked was this Teacher, Which of the laws is greatest? Now you have to understand, the people who are asking Jesus this question followed 613 Hebrew scriptures. And that wasn't even enough for them. They created more laws, thousands of more laws that they had to follow. So, Jesus answered, Um, no, no, no. It's not about 613 laws. It's about three things. Love God, love your neighbor, and love yourself. It was his last public answer to his last public question. And he blew everyone away with his answer. It's pretty simple, right? Love God, love your neighbor, love yourself. Being a follower of Jesus is simple, but it's not easy. I can say that the church at large, the big C, focuses on loving God. And here at Forefront, we really care about loving our neighbor. But we forget the loving ourselves part. How do we be the light to ourselves? How do we acknowledge the lies that we tell ourselves, the shame that we feel, and the falsehoods we believe about ourselves? We've heard that a million times, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. You know what part we always skip? The yourself part. And why do we skip that yourself part? Because we're still in the garden hiding in shame. We're hiding in shame from a God who all God wants is union with us. All God wants is to dwell within us. And if we're going to live out this greatest commandment, we have to come out of hiding. We need to love ourselves first. Essentially, God wants us to have shalom, or be at peace with ourselves. We may know we're loved and believe it. We might even believe we're God's dwelling place. But we believe God's love through the way we see ourselves, through our lens. And that lens is marked with shame. So how can we reconcile ourselves with our bodies? How can we be the light to ourselves? (coughs) I know many of you struggle with how you look or how you are. I know I still do. Maybe you struggle with discontentment about certain parts of your body. You're not tall enough, you're not thin enough. Your waist isn't slender enough. Maybe you don't feel connected to your body because our binary culture hasn't made room for your growth and development. <clears throat> Maybe you feel like you've gotten out of control with your body and you have no idea how to reclaim it. Maybe you feel, actually, you're outwardly attractive. And people have praised you for that, but you've been made to feel stupid all your life. Maybe with, you're frustrated with what your body could do, what it used to be able to do, that it can no longer do anymore. And your abilities, your confidence in your abilities are lacking. Or maybe you just feel like you've let yourself go because of kids and work and life. taken over. So how do we fix this? How do we begin to love ourselves and all its flaws? Just like any self-discovery it doesn't happen overnight. Just like any habit that you form, it doesn't happen overnight. I think we begin by practicing how to love ourselves. There are things we can change about ourselves. We can lose 10 pounds. We can try to get fit. But that doesn't change how we feel. The shame we feel, the lies we tell. We have to truly believe that we have a creator who loves us and wants to take that shame and expose those lies and remind us that God's intent for us is and always was union with God. So getting back to my story, once I start and exercise myself, out of that chubby face. I returned to middle school, quite thinner, with an uneasy feeling that food was the enemy. That year, I ate as little as I could for fear of that girl returning. And I entered high school. Midway through high school, I actually came to accept that God loved me. And I found a really great group of Asian friends. We call ourselves the Asian Invasion who challenged me and gave me the confidence and belonging that I craved. I did still, however, battle with poor eating habits and exercise compensation, all the way through college and even in the first years of my marriage. So how did I begin to love myself? How did I begin to love myself knowing that I could never be the ideal I wanted? to? I can honestly tell you, I don't know when it happened, but somewhere along the line of me becoming a mother and my body changing and stretch marks and whatnot, I realized what my body could do was way more important than what it looked like. I focused on strength and challenged myself to get stronger and fitter, rather than just trying to be skinny. I finally started to believe and look at myself the way my husband, family members, friends, and kids saw me. I think we can practically do two things. I think you and me can begin by focusing on the positive. What can our bodies do that we're proud of? Instead of focusing on the love handles that spill out over our skinny jeans, Can we see our core as beautiful? The core that carries us up and down those subway stairs to maneuver this beautiful city? Instead of feeling badly about a critique we heard about a project or that client we didn't get, can we focus on that process and what we learned through that process to inform us better about future projects and future clients? (coughs) I think another thing we do is we have to be vulnerable and honest with ourselves and with each other. Maybe today it's a matter of telling a friend how you see yourself or how badly you feel about yourself at times. Or telling your friend or someone you love that dialogue that goes in your head, that I'm not enough dialogue. I'm inadequate. I know women, every time I'm doing a new thing at work, that's what goes. You can't do it. You're funny. You're a imposter. You, you don't, you're not good enough. Maybe it's exposing that dialogue to someone. Maybe it's standing in front of the mirror naked and looking at yourself really long without condemnation. Maybe it's having sex with the lights on. I identify as a woman that men, your shame might look different. It might not be always in the outward appearance. Maybe we would use the word weak for you. What makes you feel weak? What about your body or yourself is weak? Maybe it's something that you those insecurities you need to focus on and be aware about. Maybe your body is the enemy. You don't identify with it, you struggle loving it like you cannot have union with it. I see you and I hear you. Remember, the only thing I can do is to encourage you that you are a child of God and you reflect the beauty and diversity of our Creator. Maybe you just need to mourn that this is a long journey that may take a lifetime for you to find yourself. Doing these things might seem scary, but just taking the first step is practicing self-love. I'm actually going to have you take the first step. Will you join me in an exercise? There's, I'm not making you do burpees. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you want me to. We um, can grab a card, there's a colored card, you on your seat. And I want you to write, just for a couple minutes, something, or things, or many things that you dislike about yourself. Be honest, no one's going to read the card, it's just for you. Start your list, I'll give you some time to write something, uh, the things that you don't like about yourself. I'm going to ask him to wrap up the disparaging. Yeah. Now I want you to look at your card. and you've written a couple things. And I want you to imagine the person that you love most in the world. The one that puts a smile on your face. And I want you to imagine that that person is telling you that they feel that way about themselves. How would you respond to that person? What would you say to that person? I want you to respond to yourself the way you would respond to that person you love. Listen, we need to come out of life. We need to acknowledge that there's a God who wants you with us, who dwells within us. You already are enough. You are God's dwelling place. You have union with God. You are the light. Let's believe it. I'm going to close with us um, reading the liturgy, to be the, the light of the last time. Will you join me in saying these words? Let's begin. In this place we say...